0: Well, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to John chapter 11. This morning, John chapter 11, we are going to actually wrap up our series today entitled Jesus Loves You. We've been in this series. This is week five, and what we're doing in the series is we're looking at encounters that Jesus has with different individuals, and in those, we're seeing how it is that Jesus loved those people to help us get a, a more full or uh, perfect picture of, of Christ's love. Now, this morning, the story we're looking at is not just Jesus is encounter with one particular person, but really, Jesus' encounter with an entire family. And so the characters of our story, I say characters, but the real people, are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And this is a family that Jesus often interacted with throughout his ministry, and he became good friends with them. There's indications in the text that he you know, frequently visited them and uh, that he liked them. He liked them and he loved them. And in this story, let me give you kind of the the brief story and then I wanna walk through and, and point out a few things. In the story uh, of Lazarus, it starts out uh, with Lazarus getting sick, and Jesus isn't at their hometown. He's away, and as Lazarus gets sick, Mary and Martha send out some, their Lazarus's Lazarus' sisters. They send out a messenger and say, hey, somebody go find Jesus. Someone go find Jesus. Lazarus is sick. Jesus is going to want to know about this. Get him to come back and, uh, and to heal him while he's sick. And so uh, the messenger finds Jesus and says to Jesus, hey, Lazarus is sick. And uh, Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick. And he goes, great. Thanks for letting me know. And then he just stays put. He stays put for a while, continues doing whatever he is that he's doing. And then uh, a few days later, he says to his disciples, hey, let's go uh, check on Lazarus. And so they're going to check on Lazarus. And as they're traveling or or going to go check on Lazarus, Jesus makes this comment about how Lazarus is passed. And uh, as Lazarus is now passed, Jesus says, "Uh, we're going to go, but we're going to go see Mary and Martha. And when they get into town, first Martha and then Mary approach Jesus, and they're obviously mourning the loss of their brother. And as they're having this conversation with uh, Jesus, he begins to talk with them and and point out a few things and some truths. And he he lets Mary cry at his feet. And uh, and then Jesus himself weeps. He he weeps at what he's experienced. And then he asks uh, Mary and Martha, he says, take me to where they've laid Jesus. And so they take Jesus to the tomb and Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb and Lazarus is risen from the dead. That's the story. No, the story is... A true story we believe it to be a true story this is one of Jesus's incredible miracles raising Lazarus from the dead there are a few other stories in the scripture where Jesus actually raises people from the dead and in this morning we in no way want to take away from the miracle that occurred here and the power that Christ has over all things but as we look at the story this morning and as I talk through the what's happening in the physical realm I also want to point out that underneath what's happening in the spiritual realm. And I think what we see in this story are three things. We see true purpose, we see true love, and we see true hope. True purpose, true love, and true hope. And this story that uh, we have about Lazarus is both a tragedy and a triumph wrapped up into one. There are days that this story goes across. Of course, this particular story ends with the physical rising of Lazarus, but we know that all stories don't end this way, at least not in the physical realm. And so this story teaches us true purpose, true love, and true hope. And it starts Right at the beginning of the story, we're going to look at verse 4 first. Now, I want to say this, that sometimes our limited understanding of God, our limited doctrine of God doesn't allow us to understand passages like this correctly. Sometimes our, our, our poor uh, understanding or our desire to create God in our image as opposed to us being reminded that we have been made in God's image doesn't al- allow us to fully uh, see the truths that are locked up in stories like this. So let me say at the beginning, this story and the truths in it Don't often properly align with some of the common doctrinal errors of our day. You can't read this story and not see how Jesus is about something more than just the individual's wants, needs, and desires in the story. Said another way, a me-centered view of Christianity doesn't align with what is in this story. I'll kind of point that out as we go. Let me start in verse four. But when Jesus heard it, it is Lazarus being sick, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Let me work on our pronouns here for a second. This illness does not lead to death. It, Lazarus's illness, is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through Lazarus's illness. Now, this is in no way saying where the illness came from. Jesus isn't making doctrinal statements around here. We're not really going to hit on that this morning. What we're seeing here is Jesus is saying the illness is present, okay, but it will not lead to death. Now, here's the interesting thing. What does the illness do? Leads to death. It leads to the death of Lazarus, and then um, these events of this day are going to trigger in what is eventually going to lead into the crucifixion of Christ. And so uh, it does lead to death, but Jesus says here it doesn't lead to death. Now in this verse, in verse four, what we're seeing here is the presence of true purpose. See, in the moments in our lives In whether they're the triumph or the tragedy, three questions are very easy and common to ask. They're not bad questions to ask. They're not wrong questions to ask. But the questions often go something like this. God, why? Why? Why did this happen? Second, how could you let this happen? And then third, what do I do now? What do I do now? And Jesus, at the beginning of this, is telling us what true purpose is. The first thing he's teaching us about true purpose is this, that God sees what we can't see. That God sees what we can't see. This illness does not lead to death. Well, guess what? It did lead to death, but there must be something that he sees. There must be a perspective that God has, that the Father has given to Christ here to know that even though the illness does lead to death, the illness doesn't really lead to death because there is resurrection on the other side of it. God looks into the circumstances and the situations of our lives, particularly the ones that make the least amount of sense, and he can see something that we can't see. One of the things that he can see will be revealed in John eleven twenty five 25 through 26, a little bit later in the conversation. Jesus is having a conversation with Martha. This is after he's returned home, and he says this to her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha. Do you believe this? Jesus here is pointing to salvation. He gets into a conversation with Martha, but what he does is he then expands upon it, or responds upon it, and as he does that then, he's pointing Martha to salvation in the midst of her tragedy. Now I'm going to talk about this a little bit later. On how Martha mourned and, uh, and what that means for us. But the first thing that Jesus sees through the circumstances of our lives is salvation on the other side of them. In John chapter 12, the uh, conversation is going to go something like this, that many people began to believe in Christ because of Lazarus's death and his resurrection. And it uh, that, says that, is, is that many came to salvation. Jesus, and through the Father, can see what we can't see. Now again, the truths of this morning, they're not necessarily easy. They're not easy, but they're true. And, 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 and here Jesus is trying to set up uh, at the beginning what true purpose looks like. This is a reminder to us. It's a reminder to us in our lowest moments, in our hardest moments, that God sees what we can't see. The second thing that we see in this statement here that Jesus is making at the beginning about true purpose is this. It is for the glory of God. Let me say this. You can't read this story and not see that Jesus did not intend in this particular story, I'm not making a universal claim, but in this particular story, you can't see that Jesus did not intend for Lazarus to pass. It's written into the story. He's sick, okay, I'll stay put. I'll get to that more of that in a second. And what we're seeing here is another interesting but hard truth, and that is this that Christ is most ultimately about his glory, not our understanding of what is good. Christ is most ultimately about his glory and the Father's glory, not ultimately about what our perception of what is good. Now, only through the cross, only through the gospel, and God both be simultaneously about his glory and also do what is best for our good. I mean, the picture of the cross is Christ's sacrifice on the cross, on what everyone looking on said, there is no way that this is good, but it was the ultimate picture of glory being brought back to the Father as Jesus laid himself out, sacrificed himself out for the glory of the Father. But what ultimately brought glory to the Father is ultimately what was best for us. The cross is a picture of this, but it is a reminder of what God is ultimately about, his glory. Now, listen, one of the things that this story does, is no room in these parts of the story, and as you read the rest of scripture, there is no room for like a uh, prosperity gospel, God does for me what I want him or tell him to do in this story, Mary and Martha walked through the tragedy of this circumstance. And yes, in this particular story, there is triumph at the end of it, but we all know stories where there aren't, where there isn't, in the physical realm. True purpose is so much larger than we think. True purpose is so much bigger than we think that what hangs in the balance of it is God's path for salvation and is what ultimately brings God glory. Let me say this. And I know, again, this is contrasting to our typical understanding of of God exists for my good. God exists for me. God exists, and he does what he does for, for me. This is saying that God is ultimately for his glory. But this is true. Through his goodness, when God is most ultimately about his glory, it is also what is most good. The cross, again, the picture. Jesus, is there any other way? Your will, not mine, be done. It brings the Father glory. It must be ultimately what is good. Now this then begs the question, well then what is love? If love is not, if the series is Jesus Loves You, if love is not, then um, Jesus doing for Mary and Martha what they wanted him to do when they sent the messenger. If love is not, then, me just receiving what I've asked or prayed for, then what is true love? For if God is love, if Christ is love, but love is not them getting exactly what they asked for or wanted in the story, then what is it? Well, the story... It's interesting. Look at verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus, the, the writer wants to take the question of love off of the story. The question is not uh, to be presented like, did, did he love them? And one of the questions that we will often ask in these moments is, did you love me, Lord? In these moments. And, and Jesus wants to make it very clear that he loved Martha and her sister and he loved Lazarus. So, verse six, so when, or as a result of his love, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So when he heard that he was sick, because he loved them, he stayed put. Verse 14, I would say even takes it a step further. It says, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. But let us go to him. Imagine those words that Jesus is saying. For your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there. It was best for you that I wasn't there. Let me put in the parentheses for a moment that I didn't show up when you asked me to show up to do what you asked me to do. So what then is true love? What then is true love? Let me give you three statements. Well, let me start with a anti-statement, what, what true love is not. See, what the story is teaching us is that true love is not, and God is love, so true love is not this, that life will be easy, and you will always get what you want, and that God's will will make perfect sense to you. True love is not that life will be easy, you will get what you want, and God's will will make perfect sense to you. This story is teaching us something underneath, what true love actually is. Let me give you three statements. Statement one, true love does not shelter us from all storms, but it does guarantee the best travel companion. True love does not shelter us from all storms, but it does guarantee the best travel companion. Now, perhaps you would say to me, ah, but don't you remember the story when Jesus calmed the storm? and all he had to do was pray? Yes, I do. Don't you remember the story when Paul was shipwrecked three times? Did he pray? Did he know that story? Let me say it another way. Do your handkerchiefs heal people? Because Paul's dead. Paul knew how to pray. Paul knew how to pray in faith. And Paul was shipwrecked three times by the storm and went through a lot of other stuff too. Stories like this, by the way, I can't remember if I said this already, they blow up the prosperity gospel. They just implode it. Because you can't read this story and go, God, you have to do for me what I ask of you. True love doesn't shelter us from all storms. It guarantees the best travel companion. Jesus loved them. He loved them. The text makes it abundantly clear. But Christ's love does not spare us from all suffering. It does mean that he is with us in the midst of all of it though. It does mean that he is there it does mean that he is present. The cross, again, is the perfect picture of this, that on the cross, Christ took on all of the suffering, and in the moment that suffering fell on Christ, he was absent from the presence of God so that in the midst of ours, we never would have to be. Second thing this teaches us about true love is this. True love doesn't always happen in our way or our timeline. doesn't always happen in our way or our timeline. There are multiple accounts in the story, at least two, where Jesus, uh, where a conversation goes something like this. Jesus, had you been here, Jesus, if only. Our limited perspective on God builds a false understanding of love that says something like this. God, if you loved me, then you would. And we've put in that on the other side, what we think is best. The prophet Isaiah corrects this this way when he says your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Third, this text teaches us that true love gives us him, which is what we need most even if what we don't get becomes a misunderstanding or becomes confusing or we would perceive as wrong. See, Christ was making himself very vulnerable here. He's making himself very vulnerable, which true love always does. He's making himself very vulnerable by not doing what is being asked of him, by not doing what was the, um, the perceived easy thing for Christ to do. He doesn't do it Sometimes it is easy to fall prey to the lie of the enemy that God doesn't love us if we can't understand what he did or think he missed out on giving us what we needed or asked for. This story is a reminder that Christ ultimately knows what we need and that we can't fully understand what happens in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul would almost echo um, Isaiah's words when he would say this, who is the clay to talk back to the potter? And then he would write the words, that we are clay in the master's hands Let me reiterate a point that I made earlier. Some of what I am saying this morning may not fit into our me-centered version of Christianity. And to that, I would say, it's because your me-centered version of Christianity isn't actually Christianity. That what we're seeing in this story What we're seeing in this story is true purpose and is God's true love. And it is pointing us to something. And it is a proper understanding of these things, by the way, that gives us the type of faith that can walk through all things, believe in all things, have hope in all things. See, the alternative the alternative is to believe in uh, the opposite of what I have been saying, but then to eventually be faced with the realities of this world. And when you are then faced with the realities of this world, if you have a false understanding of true purpose and true love, then there is nowhere for you to take that which has happened. But when you have a full and proper understanding of true purpose and true love. Then when life does throw what it may throw, you have a foundation, which uh, Paul or the writer of Hebrews says anchors your soul. This all then points us to a third thing that we see in the story. And that is this true hope, true hope. What does true hope look like? What does true hope look like in this story? What does true hope look like in our lives? There's three things I think the story teaches us about true hope. The first thing I think it teaches us about true hope is this, the need to mourn. The need to mourn. Martha mourns first in the story. She runs up to Jesus as he shows up on the scene and Martha begins to mourn and the way she mourns is in a face to face conversation with Christ and as she mourns and they begin to talk about the facts of the moment and Jesus points out to her after Martha begins the conversation some theological points and actually uh, slightly corrects her doctrine and understanding of what is going on. But Martha here is anchoring herself in doctrine. Doctrine then that is a uh, expounded, upon, expounded upon by Christ, and it anchors her. It's a doctrinal response, or I'll say it this way. In this moment, what Martha has to do is anchor herself in the promises of God. And part of how we understand true hope is to have a full understanding of the promises of God, to have a full understanding of resurrection, which it'll point to in a moment, to have a full understanding that all things work out together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, that God is working, and he does know what he's doing, and he can see what we can't see, that he does love us when we don't fully understand. And the first part uh, and one way to mourn is to root ourselves back in the promises of God, and so we hear them and we, uh, and we write them and we read them and we pray them and we anchor ourselves in them but the next line in the story, the next part of the story as it unfolds. So imagine Jesus, he's walking into town now. The, the full like Jewish funeral proceedings are happening and Martha comes first and then Martha gets done and Martha yells out to Mary, hey Mary, Jesus wants to see you. And Jesus didn't actually say he wanted to see her, but I think Martha knew that uh, Mary needed to see Jesus. And so uh, Mary then comes on in and Mary runs up to Jesus and she shows a different type of mourning. She just falls at his feet because another type is not when we need to be rooted in the promises of God, but the presence of God. And the other thing that we have here in this story is that Mary then, she just falls at the feet of Jesus and she takes a moment to just be in Christ's presence. And true hope, in this first part of true hope, knowing how to mourn, it's both knowing the promises of God and the presence of God. And we serve a God who knows us well enough that we need both. God, I do need the hope that is found in your promises, but I also need the love and grace and peace that is found in your presence. And so uh, so Mary just sits there at the feet of Christ. Mary actually says, Lord, had you been here, my brother would not have died. He's getting back at kind of point one and point two here. Verse 33 then, this is, by the way, gonna show us my second point in true hope. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And if you hop down to verse 35, you're gonna see this, and Jesus wept. The second thing that informs true hope for the believer is the presence of both the friendship of God and the friendship of others. And Jesus here shows up on the scene. And Jesus doesn't come showing up in the scene, spouting all of these different things, saying, Hey, if you had done this or if you had done this, or nope, Jesus just shows up to be a friend. And as Jesus shows up on the scene, you know what he does? He weeps. He weeps. It's as if um, uh, Jesus or Paul maybe later like uh, saw this story or heard this story and wrote this story into his explanation of what love looks like when he said, weep with those who weep. The presence of true friendship begins to bring up true hope for the believer in the midst of these types of circumstances, and it starts with knowing when to weep. It continues then where uh, Jesus begins to show a righteous anger over what has happened, showing us in the story how we point, how we point what is going on inside of us in these moments the right way, and Jesus then is pointing in anger, and where he's pointing the anger is at sin and death. He's pointing his anger at that which has happened. One commentator said that Jesus here is just the better picture of Job's friends. Maybe you've heard the story of Job's friends. They showed up onto the scene, none of them wept. They showed up on the scene and none of them knew how to properly console Job. Jesus shows up on the scene and he just weeps. Jesus shows up at the scene and he's angry, not at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He's angry at sin and death. Then we get to point three. Point three. And I would say that in, in verse 34 through um, 37, all right? let me read the rest of these. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? And he did. He loved Lazarus. I think he loved Mary and Martha as well. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Oh, isn't this the story or the question that we so often ask? Jesus, could you not have? Couldn't you have? Of course he could have. And they're showing here the question that the world will often ask in these moments. Why did you not? Now, verse 38 through 44, I want to present like this. It's it's, it's all part of the story, and it's all a continuation of the story, but I would say it almost serves as an epilogue to the story. And here's why I say it almost serves as an epilogue to the story, because on on one hand, what we're seeing here is the continuation and the faithfulness and the goodness of Christ setting up in this situation, and he's going to fulfill everything that he had said earlier. But also what we're seeing in this story or what we know because of the realities of life is that from a physical perspective, our stories don't always play out in this way sometimes our stories don't end like this story from a physical realm, in a physical realm. Sometimes our stories play differently. And so we have to look into this story, now understanding the true purposes and the true love of God, and see in this story what is the true hope that is being presented for our stories. Now on one hand, we're gonna read this story and we're going to see that uh, there should be given, that we should receive in this story a physical hope, a, a reality, life reality hope. Because what we're going to see is Jesus perform a real miracle. We're going to see Jesus meet a real need in their life. We're going to see him do something. And, uh, and so on one hand, what we see in this story is it is a faith-building moment for all of us to believe that Christ can show up on the scene and change a circumstance or a situation. In the process of the events when Jesus says, um, where have you laid him? Uh, Later then, they're going to move him to the tomb and as they're moving him to the tomb, they're going to get to a point where Mary and Martha, one of them is going to say, well Jesus, he's been in the tomb for four days. One potential understanding of the statement, he's been in the tomb for four days, is in Jewish custom and culture, the first three days there was a sense of hope that maybe something would happen, that like the spirit was still hovering over the body and would come back out but on the fourth day it was like all hope has been lost and so in this particular case it's like Jesus is showing up to the scene when from their physical understanding all hope had been lost and Jesus is going to show up and Jesus is going to do something and Jesus is going to say take away the stone Lazarus come out and physically Lazarus is going to be risen from the dead And so one of the things that this story leaves us with is that we can't hold on to a hope in the physical realm that Jesus can show up and can do something when it seems like nothing can be done. And I'm sure this morning, the time we could share stories in our own lives, we could share stories of times when Jesus has shown up, when it seems like all hope has been lost, and he breathed his life into the situation, and it was like, wow. And I celebrate him for his glory. But we also have to look into the story and see, but what about when that doesn't happen? What other reality, then, are we being pointed to in the story in the moments when that doesn't occur? What other hope do we have here? And what we see here, I believe, is that um, the the end of the story here is pointing us to two things— it's pointing us first to a um, a spiritual reality for ourselves in the midst of these times, and it's also pointing us to a greater spiritual reality of salvation and redemption, the things that God sees through that we can't see. The first part is this. Jesus says in verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Now he's taking a second back there and he's referencing back to what had begun, uh, happened earlier on in the story. And what Jesus is saying is this, that in the midst of tragedy, that as you're walking through it and as you were unable to see what God can see, he's saying, if you will continue to walk with me, if you'll continue to operate in faith, if you'll continue to trust me, then what I'm going to do is give you pictures of the glory of God working through this. And what this means for us is that true hope is that when we continue to operate in faith, when we continue to press in uh, to Christ, when we know that he's with us in the storm, that as we walk these things out, that God gives us glimpses of the beauty of his glory working through. And they serve as these moments right? When God's saying, look at a glimpse of my glory. Look at a glimpse of my glory. Now, that is beautiful. But another thing that happens, or another thing that this story is showing us is an even greater, and it's a picture of spiritual reality. And what it's showing us also is the process of our greatest reason for hope. And what is that? Our salvation, our salvation. And in the end, this picture of Lazarus' death and resurrection is a picture of salvation and it is a picture of everyone's salvation. And so the picture that we're seeing presented here is Lazarus, from a physical perspective, is uh, he has has died, he is in the tomb, he's been in the tomb, all hope has been lost from their perspective. Hope could never return again. And Lazarus is there, and there's, uh, uh, Jesus says, you know, roll away the stone. And when he says roll away the stone, their response to him is actually, uh, you know, he's gonna stink. Like he's been in there for four days and the odor has settled over him and he's in his clothes and Jesus like, are you really sure that you want to do this? Like like, there's no hope. It's already been lost and it's already been gone. And what this picture is pointing us to is the spiritual reality of our own salvation that in our sin and in the death and the stink of sin that each of us spiritually have existed as Lazarus did physically, that we were all undone underneath the weight and the death and the odor and the stink of sin that the, uh, the tomb of our spiritual lives had been sealed. We were on the other side of it. We were bound up in all of it. We stunk the stunk of death. All hope had been lost and we would have stayed in that spiritual state for all of time. But in a moment in the heavenlies, Jesus whispered, where have you laid him? Where is the one I love? Where is the one I love? And then something begins to shake in the heavenlies. And Jesus begins to approach the dead place of our souls. And like he spoke, Lazarus, come out. The gospel comes out. And when the gospel comes out, it rolls away the stone of hardness that had covered us from our father. And it rolls out, it rolls away and out we come now fully alive in him. And when we step out, oftentimes when we step out into this moment of salvation, we still kind of stink the stink of death right? There's still like these remnants uh, and these things that have bound us, these things that have kept us up. And notice in the next statement that Jesus looks and he looks to the people that are standing around him, which in this picture represents the church. And he tells them, you guys go to them and unbind him, take it all off and embrace him back in. And it is a picture for us as the church that when people step into their salvation, which is our greatest hope of all, that when they step into their salvation, no matter what they stink, no matter how much um, of the wrapped up of their old life is still holding them back, that it is the job then of the church to embrace and to step around those who have just walked out of that and to help them be unbound, not do what religion wants to do so often, which is to keep them, bound and then bound them up in their own things, but to help them be unbound so that they can now walk in the new freedom that they have been given. This is the great work of the church, to pray to a heavenly father that his true purpose of salvation would go out, that his true love that brought salvation would be known, and that he would offer this true hope of salvation to all. Oh, and then that we get to be a part then of the unbinding, and we get to be a part then of letting people walk in freedom. And so the story points us to that. And also, it also anchors us, friends, that anchors us in understanding these three things, true purpose, true love, and true hope, to know then how do we face whatever life may throw? How do we continue to walk in trust of our heavenly father? We will only be able to do that. We will only be able to do that when when we know purpose, hope, and love in its true forms. As I said before, Hebrew says, they will become an anchor to our souls. They will keep us close to the Father. And that understanding will hold us in when the storms of life will want to take us away. And so this morning, perhaps, perhaps you're in that spiritual state and what you're hearing this morning is Jesus has approached your spiritual tomb He has rolled away the stone and the gospel is coming in loud and clear. Come on out. Today is the day of your new life in him. And if that's you, step into your salvation this morning. I wanna pray for you in a moment, but step into it. Perhaps you find yourself in that second state I talked about and you just need to be anchored again. You need to be anchored again that there is a hope underneath the hope. There is a, a purpose underneath the purpose. There's a love underneath the love and just be reminded of it. Be reminded of it. Or perhaps you're in the first state I talked to when I got to the end here and that you have actually seen God work something in the physical. You have, seen, uh, you have seen him step in when all hope seemed lost and do something. In that case, then in your own way, celebrate him this morning. Celebrate him for stepping in and redeeming and making beautiful what seemed lost. We don't do this often, but we're actually gonna end today by singing a song that we've already sung today. And I wanna do that as a chance for us to just reflect and a chance for us then to just operate in faith. So I'm gonna pray. And then when I'm done praying, we're gonna sing again. Let's pray. Father, I first thank you that when I was in the tomb Dead in my sin, caught up in the the grave clothes with no chance of salvation. Day four was upon, all was lost. You showed up and you called my name. Oh, and where would I be without that? Where would we be without that? And so I thank you for the call on the other side of the tomb that beckons us to life. If you're here this morning, And you are hearing that call. It's like the stone of hardness has been rolled away. You hear the voice of a Christ beckoning you to newness. Hear it this morning and respond. Walk out of the tomb. Pray this. in The quietness of your own heart. Oh, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are the resurrection and the life. I believe in you and I want to live now forever in you. Confess your sin of trying to do it on your own or of just rejecting him. And then see how Jesus took all of that sin on the cross so that you and I might now be able to live. Oh, and Father, if there's anyone in this room right now that is praying that or anyone online, uh, Father, I pray that they would now walk in the newness of life that you have granted. Father, I also pray that for whatever current situation or future one, that you would anchor our hearts in true purpose, love, and hope anchors for our souls so that when the realities of life settle in we draw nearer not further from you thank you for the living hope and the promise of resurrection thank you for the promise that we know that one day all wrong things will be made right all broken things will be redeemed And thank you for your presence in us, with us, around us as we await that day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connectcard. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.